Welcome to Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. This episode is brought to you by Set GK Goalkeeper Gloves. Gloves by the pros, for the pros. With five different models to choose from, they guarantee you'll find the feel and fit you're looking for. Use promo code JUSTFORKEEPS at checkout and receive 25% off your order. Set GK. It all starts with your set. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. I am your host, Carter Hogman, and joining me this week is current University of Maryland women's soccer goalkeeper, Maddie Smith. Thanks for coming on, Maddie. Thanks, Carter, for having me. So the first question I always ask here is, what made you want to become a goalkeeper? What originally drew you to the position? So I started playing when I was about three or four and at that time, you know, we weren't allowed to have keepers on the field because, you know, it was it was rec, it was YMCA. Um, you know, my mom was my coach. So um, and I always I always wanted to be back there and just, you know, use my use my feet and my hands at the same time. I always thought that was the best. Um, but I was always asking my coaches, you know, let me play keeper. But they didn't let me until I was about eight. And then um, I just loved how they could use their hands. And I always wanted to be the one like diving around on the field and. You know, I just I was a very active child. You know, I um, I have six brothers and sisters, so we were always outside playing, um, playing football, soccer, basketball. So I was just very active and I just wanted to. It's kind of funny because, you know, keepers don't do a lot, but they actually do do a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, with diving around and all that stuff. So. Oh, don't worry. We'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember in the, those early days, three, four years old, when it's just those those pug nets. And yes. I remember specifically, I don't know why or what compelled me. I guess it was the innate goalkeeper in me. But I started to just stand by our own pug net and just kept diving at it with my hands. And I remember the parents yelling at me, you can't do that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why not. I see if people do it on TV all the time. Yeah, they'd be like, you're puppy guarding or... <laughs> Yeah, you get that. over it. It's it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> the parents they don't understand. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. I mean, were you a multi-sport kid growing up? I mean, I I was one of those kids. The second the weather changed, I was playing a different sport. Oh, for sure. You know, I played until I was about twelve. I played five sports if I could. I played baseball. I I was never into the girls' sports. I don't know why. I just <laughs> I played baseball. I played tackle football until I was eighth grade. Um, I was on my middle school tackle football team, so I was the kicker and ride receiver. It was it was a super fun time. Um, I was on I played basketball um, until uh, my like junior year, and then I had to focus on soccer after that. And I I wanted to be the student section leader <laughs> of my whole basketball thing there. But um, and then what else did I play? I think that's all the sports. Oh, I I did dance until I was about five, and then I cried every single time I went. Because I just wanted to go play soccer. So <laughs> at least that's what my mom told me. I'm jealous. My dad never <laughs> let me play football. Oh, seriously? Uh, no, he was. I mean, he had has his own bad experiences as a kid playing. Like he broke his nose a bunch oh, of times. Gosh. And he was worried about my knees and you know, yeah. my head, obviously. And I always, I always, it's a, always been a big what if for me. Because I always loved, especially, I don't know what drew me to being a punter and a kicker. But I, there was a brief I think two year period when I was in sixth and seventh grade where I was allowed to do it and I had such a blast, but 
Yeah. That was that was the last my dad would uh, let his his hair fall out over worrying about me. Yeah. I just um, think all the guys in my family, you know, they all played football and all that, so they're just like, you know, you go right ahead, like <laughs> free hand me down and, pass you know, and everything. Nebraska, Nebraska culture. They're big about football there. So big Cornhuskers fan. Um, I have to be because I'm from Nebraska, but unfortunately, they're not the best team to be a fan of right now. But <laughs> it's good. It's fine. <laughs> I was actually a, a, in, a, in dance class until I was about five years old myself. So goalkeepers, yeah. if you're out there, footwork is ever so important. And yes, it's very dance, dance lessons will get you there. I promise. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's. It's been a phenomenal era, I think, especially to grow up watching women's soccer in the U.S. That you know that what we've witnessed. Oh, I mean, did the did the national team play a part in your desire to continue playing soccer? Yes, it's literally since I started playing soccer, um, it's been my everlasting dream to be on that team. Um, you know, I I'm actually going to their game um, this Sunday in New Jersey, so that's gonna be fun to go watch and play Germany out there. Um, but it's, yeah, that's, it's been a big role in my life. You know, I remember watching the world cup when I was eight and then when I was 12, um, having big parties and, you know, always, always supporting them. Um, you know, hope solo was one of my role models growing up. I did like, I, I can't even count probably 15 presentations on her throughout my elementary, middle and high school career. Um, you know, I did presentations on the 1999ers um 1991 world cup teams you know all the teams out there i uh, they're just super inspiring and yeah it's played a really big role in my growing up i mean you mentioned hope solo and you obviously she can't you can't talk about the women's national team without mentioning hope but i mean who who were your favorite goalkeepers growing up too honestly i just um hindsight hope solo like she i had posters on my wall oh me too i i had everything like <laughs> i had her jerseys you know i i had a hat that said solo on the back like i used to like go to the field and like like pretend like i used to like got the same gloves she got and like pretend i was hope solo out the field like it was she was a super big inspo to me me too. I mean, it's it was interesting growing up, you know, in the Hope Solo era as well, because at the same time, I was so admired by her as an as one of you know one of the best women's goalkeepers of all time. Yeah. While also having a gigantic crush on her. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there was that too. But I mean, uh, yeah, you can't talk about the women's national team as a goalkeeper and not mention Hope Solo. But yeah, of course. At, at what age did you start playing club soccer? So I started playing club soccer when I was about. Um, uh seven or eight i oh wow early yeah pretty early um just because it was really only like ymca um and then you just started to go into your club um but it was like rec club i guess you could say um until you were about nine or ten and then they started having tryouts and all that stuff um so i was at um it's actually sporting omaha now but it was omaha fc while i was um there and then I changed teams when I was 13 and ended up at Gretna Soccer Club for the rest of my career. So super, super good um, club career. I loved it. What was your first experience like going through your first ever goalkeeper training session? I I mean, I remember being incredibly flustered because you essentially have to relearn how to fall properly, which can be a bizarre concept for a lot of young goalkeepers. Yeah. So um, I just I think it kind of came naturally to me. Um, just cause, uh, my brother and I, we literally, 
all we would do is run routes for football and I would sure. just dive into the backyard and all that stuff. But um, I think it just came naturally to me when we would go out there and practice, you know, we started practicing when uh, 10 or 11, um, like we'd probably get, you know, an hour a week, but that hour a week was like the best hour of my whole entire week because I loved training like with all the other goalkeepers and we didn't really have like a actual goalkeeper coach until I went to my next club Gretna but I yeah I completely loved it It was my favorite time I mean what did you notice was different the second you went to that coach that was an actual goalkeeper specialist I I think I completely like actually like fell in love with like being a goalkeeper because like I just started like getting into the technical side of it and like all the little movements that come from it and like kind of just expanding my knowledge on like the goalkeeping game Um, at that time you know I was 13 14 but um, going into high school and that's my freshman year that was like one of my best years um, in my high school because I just you know, I had my goalkeeper coach for a year before that, and she really, really helped me grow in that year. And it just, you know, it just showed me that I wanted to be doing this for my career. So what was something that came easier to you than you thought it would? And then what was something that, you, you know, you're, you're in your midst of your first goalkeeping, like actual session where they're giving you critiques. What came easy? And then what was like, oh, this is way more difficult than what I've seen on TV or what I've seen before? Um, I guess like the high dives, like diving those those upper 90 shots like you know I'm watching Hope Solo go out there and save these amazing shots um in the World Cup and all that and I'm like oh that's oh I can do that you know I can get out there and but it, it just takes so much more like I literally was just talking to my coach last week about it I'm like I, I gotta get back to that like all that stuff I gotta get like jumping more like I gotta do some more jumping exercises um so, yeah, I just – and then what came naturally, I think, just, like, handling um, because I played so many sports. Um, I was just – I was really good with my handles. I was a point guard for basketball. So, I, I'd be out there, and I was all, I was always on JV because I would do way too many moves. Like, I'd do, like, a crossover, and I'd do behind the back, and then I'd get the ball taken away from me. So, because <laughs> I wouldn't pass the ball. But, uh, yeah, I just think handling came really, really easy for me, and – um, it's always been one of my strong suits to, you know, catch a ball instead of punch it. So, yeah. Oh, see, I didn't make my middle school basketball team, and I tried all three years. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. gosh. <laughs> it was traumatic. But, oh, I mean, no. yeah, for me, it was the positioning that, that came so naturally to me. I don't know what yeah. it was. I mean, I, what, I, you know, I was, I was a baseball kid. I always loved playing the corner infield. So that sort of oh, – yeah. the reaction saves were always a, a blast and really simple for me. But like yeah. you, it was the – and I think for a lot of keepers uh, at such a young age, it's, it is those those high saves, those upper ninety saves, where you see yeah. goalkeepers and you know at so effortless when it's there's so, so much yeah. there's so much technique that really goes into it, and so much yeah. power that you have to draw and timing and everything. And you see, it's funny, like you see uh, field players when they hop in just for fun and they try and dive yeah. past their immediate radius, and they mm-hmm. just immediately revert to that Superman dive. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. that's 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 something that a lot of people don't realize when goalkeepers have to, you know, they learn to do that. That's years of practice mm-hmm. uh, and technique and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, the super yeah, watching field players immediately say to you, it's the easiest position and they hop in and they do 
the Superman dive, it's always fantastic. Yes. yes. And I'm like, oh gosh, yeah, that's a field player for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like people, especially today, are so hyper fixated on when you should start focusing on one sport or when you should start playing a sport in order yes. to be able to be good enough by the time you reach the next level or a specific age group. And and so often I see instances of that or instances that challenge that notion like Matt Turner, who didn't start playing the position until he was 16 and is now the U.S.'s number one goalkeeper, as announced yeah. officially earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I didn't even start playing club soccer until I was about 17 years old. And even then, I was mo- I was mostly sure that the sport I was better at, which I was very incorrect. Uh, with baseball yeah (laughs) I mean I'm just curious on what your take on that is because it can cause people to panic or get really stressed out if they feel like they're behind everyone else yeah so I feel like you know I I I stopped with basketball and soccer after what was it eighth grade Um, those were my two main sports Um, and my mom like she was like all right we gotta we gotta get it down to three or four sport or um, two or like three sports here just because, you know, you're getting into high school and it's going to be a lot of time. Um, And like, you can only play three sports in high school anyways. Um, And like club was a big part of my life at that time. So, um, but I feel like, like I was just talking to my niece the other day um, and she um, is like deciding between basketball and soccer right now. And she's in eighth grade. I'm like, why don't you do both? Like it's going to help you so much in the future. um, Like with your handling um, and she, she's a goalkeeper as well. Like with your handling, your speed. Um, I felt like I was like in the greatest shape of my life throughout high school because my basketball workouts and I, you know, I'd get to the soccer field and I'd be beating out all the field players. And like, I was one of the most conditioned players on the field, even though I was a goalkeeper, just cause I was playing basketball. Um, you know, I, I feel like it helps physically, mentally, um, you know, it ju- it just keeps you active as well. So, yeah. Oh, it's 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 phenomenal for cross training. And like you said, I mean, you, you stay conditioned in the off seasons when you're not playing because winter is a difficult time for goalkeepers, especially if you don't yes. have an indoor facility nearby um, yeah. anywhere that you can train. It's it's basketball. I will argue as, as frustrating as it was for me to never be able to really play it at a higher level than yeah. barely not making middle school. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you think about the functionalities between a goalkeeper and, and a basketball player. You think about the shuffling for defense. You think about making sure that your vertical is good and staying conditioned and short um, explosive movements. And it's in, in a short uh, radius of, of space. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. I mean, if, if I'm recommending anything, if you want to play another sport, I think basketball is a great way, especially as a goalkeeper, not maybe not necessarily for a field player, but as a goalkeeper, a great way to stay in shape and great way to work and on all of the above. Um, but I feel like that, that same sentiment resonates when it comes to the college recruiting process. I mean, as, as a high school athlete, it, it, I'm sure, you know, it can be incredibly demoralizing seeing your friends and your teammates getting D one letters in the mail, hearing them talk about their recruiting trips and stuff like that. And it, you might not be experiencing the same thing or even anything like that. I mean, I know I experienced yeah. a similar feeling, but, but talk to me about your journey through the recruiting process because you ended up going the JUCO route. Yes. So my route was kind of um, out of the ordinary. So I actually started out with a commitment my junior year to University of Missouri at Kansas City. Um, a bunch of my club teammates um, from my past team that I was on until I was about 13 
they committed there. And, um, you know, it was very familiar. It was close to home. Um, it, it wasn't a very big program. So, like, I knew if I went in there, I could possibly make an impact uh, on my first year as a freshman. Um, but I just, you know, I went down there for my official. And I just, you know, I didn't feel like it was my home at that time. And I just, I felt like I needed to decommit at that time. And I did. It was uh, right after I graduated, I called them up and I was like, hey, you know, I'm so, so sorry for this, but, you know, I got to go another route. And that's when um, the JUCO reached out to me, um, Lake Tahoe Community College. And I went out there for, for a visit and I fell in love like right away. Um, you know, they were a top JUCO program in California and they still are. Um, we were number one in the nation, I think, for 12 weeks there at the end of our season. Uh, we went to the final four. We got, um, we went to the semifinals, lost in the 89th minute on a unfortunate own goal um, by one of our like all-star um, defenders, you know, but it was a super good season. Um, you know, I was, I was getting recruited by a lot of um, teams out there. I, I didn't know if I was going to stay or not, but I initially, I decided it was best for me to move back home. Um, a lot of family stuff happened. Uh, and then I, went back to Omaha and went on there, uh, went on a scholarship and then COVID happened. Um, and that was, you know, I was, I got there in January. We were, you know, we were inside cause we didn't have an indoor facility at that time. We were just practicing in the gym, like playing futsal and all that, um, for about two months there. And then COVID happened. Um, and we didn't have our fall season. And then spring 2020, uh, spring 2021 rolled around and then we had a, you know, a COVID season. We went to each, we, you know, we go to North Dakota state, we play um, two times in one weekend. So it was, it was kind of a weird season um, to start with. And at the time, you know, I, I really wanted to go to a bigger time school, um, you know, a big university. It was always my dream to go. So I was just like, I'm going to enter my name in the transfer portal and, you know, like hope for the best. Um, and that was May of 2021. And then I came out here actually to Baltimore to play on Coppermine. Um, one of my assistant coaches helped me with that, get on the team out here. And that really, really opened up some doors for me because um, Val, the head coach, knows a lot of people. And he really helped me out, um, you know, with getting to Maryland and all that. Um, and I finally ended up at Maryland on July 24th. I moved in July 25th and we started preseason the next day. Um, it was a very fast process, but I literally came here on a visit and I fell in love right away. Um, and, you know, we went through a coaching change and all that, um, but it's, it's really been a great ride to be here and I, I've met some really amazing people. So I'm, I'm really glad I got the tra um, chance to transfer a couple times. So it's yeah, for sure. I want to go back a little bit to that okay. decision um, to initially decommit before going to JUCO. Um, yeah. I mean, for some, you know, my first thought when I heard that is, A, that's incredibly brave because, you know, you're coming out of high school and being, you know, being a high schooler still, yeah. you, a lot of it is about self-image and how you feel that you are presenting yourself and showing off to the people around you, because that's what, that's, that's kind of the environment that we live in right now. And there's no yes. really getting around that. And yeah. it, it takes a lot for a person to go, you know what, this is going to look like I'm quitting or that I'm giving up or that I'm, 
I have to backtrack and I made these big announcements and had all these family members say congratulations. Yep. And now I have to go back on that because I know it's not the right fit for me. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's important to note for the, the younger goalkeepers that listen to this podcast and that there's no shame in deciding even after, even after you've made a decision that ultimately it's not the right, it's not the right decision for you. And there's something better out there for me. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Like I, so I, it was a big thing. Um, I felt like I was really pressured into committing to that school, um, you know, by family members, by people around the community, um, my club team, you know, like it was my only offer at the time and everybody was committing on my team. And I was just like, fine, you know, like I'll do it. You know, I know a bunch of people that are going there. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't visited there yet, but I can always decommit. Um, and then, you know, I just wasn't happy with my decision and, I I felt like I've always been the person to like take that chance and I've been like like underdog my whole entire life like come like growing up in Nebraska you know our recruitment system's not the best there um it's gotten a lot better but you know when I was growing up it wasn't the best um so I felt like I was always the underdog and going to that community college I felt like I could like grow there and get my name out there a little bit more um since it was in Cali um you know we ha- we always had um all the Cali schools come up. It was, it was a great opportunity for me to go Juco and it helped me save a lot of money too. Like I always tell people that now I'm like, uh, I'm not in debt from my community college years. And like that helped me so much to get a good scholarship out of D one school um, just cause I took the Juco route. And it, it was the same level of soccer, if not better than my D one school now. Like I felt Say that last sentence again. You cut out for a second here. Said it was a great opportunity that I got to go out to the JUCO and, um, you know, just be a part of that culture out there and, you know, experience that JUCO lifestyle. Um, it was it was awesome. So, yeah, I mean, talk to me a little bit about that JUCO experience, just because I know from like, I, you know, I go back to that, that high schooler sentiment where a lot of it is about image and you, you there is no shame in going the JUCO route. It's it is and can be phenomenal soccer and just talk to me and whoever's listening just talked about a little bit what you experience you know your experience as a whole playing juco soccer so i right when i got out there we had two weeks of i guess you could call it hell week um but it was two weeks of it and we were on top of a mountain so it was you're getting in shape the first day like <laughs> we're uh 7, feet up in the air like I, I couldn't breathe yeah, I'm from Nebraska so that was it, it was really really shocking getting up there and competing with all these girls that are you know coming off from like national team experience from other countries you know it was it was really eye-opening that I got to play with all these girls and um most of these girls you know they wanted to save money exactly like me they wanted to get their name out there for bigger schools. Um, you know, most of the girls after um, my year, my freshman class, uh, most of them went D1, um, a few to UC Davis. Um, I think one went to Seattle. Um, you know, it was a, a bunch of West Coast schools out there. Um, it was really, really nice that I, you know, got to 
go in there and play right away, um, take that starting spot and develop my, you know, because we, we had a really good goalie coach out there, um, you know, and just develop my game even more um, for my going into D1 because D1's, you know, it's a whole other level as a goalkeeper. Um, you know, you got to, I feel like distribution wise, you have to be so much more cleaner. And, um, you know, that, that was a big step for me coming from JUCO to D1 was my distribution. So um, I feel like that time really helped me develop it. And yeah, it was just a great opportunity that I got to go out there. A lot of people, myself included, have a very difficult time making that jump to the division one level for a multitude of reasons. But, you know, one of the main reasons being you've worked as hard as you can to make this giant leap talent wise. And then all of a sudden you're behind again. You're not yeah. as fast. You're not as strong as those around you. And that can be a difficult thing to deal with both mentally and physically, especially as a goalkeeper where the mental side is really more important than anything else. Yeah. How did you handle that jump? Um, I feel like the mental game around it, you know, it's, I felt like I've really developed mentally coming off. I felt like I was, you know, super immature at my JUCO. Um, all the little things, you know, like, like classes, time management, um, eating wise, you know, my diet, um, all that stuff, you know, it had to elevate coming to a D1, you know, you have to be on top of your game. You have to do all the little things, right. You know, the recovery process, like, lifting weights um you know it, it wasn't there at the juco level just you know it's um it's just not that type of level that they do that stuff um but uh you know like coming here i feel like i've really developed and like got stronger um like developed a whole lot more since my freshman year you know I'm, i feel like i've gained like 20 pounds um uh yeah my uh, yeah it's just really nice that i got to develop after that year a big thing that that goes into goalkeeping, and you know, I glanced, I just glanced over it, but yeah, we, and we talk about it all the time. Is it's the mental side of everything. Yeah, for, I mean, and everyone has a different answer for this. I feel like, but what's something that you think goalkeepers have to deal with mentally that not a lot of people outside the position would understand? I feel like we have to deal with being perfect, a, like most of the time, like are you know if we mess up one time the ball's in the back of the net um like to be a hundred percent perfect the whole time is such a big like mental struggle that people can go through and just like developing your mindset to like not everything has to be perfect and like you just need to keep training and like keep going at it and like realizing that you know everyone's a person and you know, everyone makes mistakes. And yeah, I just feel like people like if you're not a goalkeeper, then you just don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's it's funny. It's a, it's an odd balance of having to be yeah. a perfectionist and then reminding yourself that not everybody's perfect. Yes, yes. It is a for, very odd balance. <laughs> for me, it was people don't realize that we are hyper focused, even when the ball is on the opposite side of the field. We yes. are always you know, it's tunnel vision, always talking, always thinking about you know, yep. the 100 different scenarios of how the ball could get past your back line yes. and what you would need to do when all of those 100 different scenarios happen. Like, we are all, we're not just standing there. It no, people think, like people think I'm crazy. People think I'm crazy because I'm sitting back there like, oh, like, talking to myself, like, the whole entire game, you know, I'm talking to my center backs, like, 
Uh, people ask, yeah. I mean, I yeah. understand. <laughs> people ask, you know, why some goalkeepers chew gum. It's just yeah. another way to keep your brain moving. Yep, exactly. And yeah, for me, like, I was always the goalkeeper that would even be directing my forwards even when they had the ball. Because, I mean, yeah. in a lot of college situations, I mean, depending on where you play, the environment can get kind of quiet. So you, you can oh, yeah. take advantage of that as a goalkeeper and communicate with your forwards. Um, but I, you know, I would play, I had played with goalkeepers that the second the ball crossed midfield, they just stopped talking, when, but yeah. they were still that, tu- they still had that tunnel vision about them. And it was just an interesting way of seeing somebody else play the position. Oh yeah. Like I always talk to my forwards. I'm like, Oh, look how wide, look how And I know they obviously can't hear me. You know, we got a, we got a crowd there and all that stuff, but no, we're not bragging here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just telling you, telling you what to do and, you know, if they if they listen to me, they listen to me. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't play at a Big Ten school, but we yeah we, we we got some some decent crowds. There was that those three times, but yeah, <laughs> um, no, it was phenomenal. And the UMass, uh, shout out to the UMass little uh, fan groups that we had. They were they were awesome. For but sure. um, another reason we have you know or you know we 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 have this podcast is to break down those stereotypes and stigmas surrounding goalkeepers. I mean, what's one thing that that people say or think about goalkeepers that will always strike a nerve with you? Um, huh. I don't really know. You know, I don't, people don't really talk bad about goalkeepers to my face like that. Cause they know I'm a, they know I'm a soccer goalie nerd. So oh, you should meet my friends. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't really know. I feel like everybody just thinks we're like super, super crazy. Um, but I feel like that's a good thing. Like, I feel like it's a super good thing. I, I'd rather be crazy in the net than sitting there calm. Like, <laughs> yeah. The one thing that always got me was the was the lazy stereotype. Yes, you know what? Yeah, it it can go it can go both ways. Um, like, yeah, like initially, like when people are young, like they just put girls in there just so they can you know stand back there. But that's not what it is at all. So. <laughs> I mean, what's one stereotype you've seen that's absolutely true? I mean, you mentioned the crazy side. I mean, I've played with some yeah, people who I've wondered what's going up in their skull over there. But yeah, what's what's something that you've seen? And you're like, all right, I see where the stereotype comes from. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, some stereotypes. Um, you gotta like, you gotta like think of one. Um. That all goalkeepers' gloves smell. You know what? <laughs> all of them do smell. I'm not going to lie. That's true. Yeah. There's no avoiding it. There's no avoiding it. You know what? Like, I could I could wash them. I could do anything. But they're going to smell always. Like, yeah. Set GK gloves do smell phenomenal. Yes, they do. They do. <laughs> yes. And I think... <laughs> You know, I, I'm not getting ahead of the phenomenal production team with uh, Set GK, but I believe a glove wash may be in the works. But oh, nice! Um, and if it's not, don't quote me on it. But okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, Set GK goalkeeper gloves. This is a sponsored podcast. But there you go. <laughs> I mean, one thing I dealt with. Back to actual soccer. One thing I dealt with throughout my college career uh, was being a backup and finding every possible way in which I could contribute as much as possible to the team, help the other goalkeepers around me, help boost my other teammates in training. And it helped me understand so many different things, but one of them being why the bond between or within the goalkeeper union is so strong. 
Uh, I mean, before I tell you why I think that's the case, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I feel like, you know, like, especially this season, you know, we had some really, really great goalkeepers in our goalkeeper union uh, for Maryland. Um, and we are always competing for the, you know, we're always competing for the same spot. So just like supporting each other and knowing that we're all, you know, here for the same reason is just such a big role in like creating that positive environment. Um, like that, that helps you get to the next day. That helps you with training, you know, that um, helps you get better. Um, I feel like that's the biggest thing that other goalkeepers can do for each other is hype, hype each other up, you know, create that positive environment. So they can get better and they can learn, um, even though you're all competing for the same spot. Just like knowing your role on that team is um, a big thing as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I think for me, it, and it took a couple of years, but realizing and especially in retrospect, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah. But in retrospect, you look back at it, you all you spend the most time together more than you do with any of the other teammates. You're you you put yourselves through just hellish, hellish workouts. Mm-hmm. I always thought we worked much harder than, than the field players in, in training. Oh, for we, sure. We put our bodies through so much and you do it together. And like you said, you always, you, you wish the best for, you know, while you're competing and you want to play, you wish the best for the guy who's in the net because at yep. the end of the day, you're on the same squad and you want to yep. win. You want to win. Yeah. And that's a unique mentality that field players, I just, I don't think, I, I know they want everyone to do well and they want to compete, but a field player wanting to play is a little bit different than goalkeepers trying to compete for a starting spot because there's only one of us. Yes. And when you have that will for somebody else to do better and your will for yourself to improve, I think that brings the group a lot closer. And I think that's why, not even just in soccer, and I've talked about this throughout you know, every sport, that I've had on the podcast. That's why goalkeepers across every sport just have that understanding between one another. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, that's why I don't think that's another thing. I don't think people who have never played go the goalkeeping position at any of any sport will quite understand why we will immediately be drawn to another. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, our goalkeeping union, you know, I, I had to write down my, I just did this a couple of day, a couple of weeks ago, but I had to write down like my favorite memories of Maryland and all that stuff. And I, I wrote down, uh, you know, being a part of the goalkeeper union because it's just such a big part of my life. You know, I see those girls for five hours a day um, and like, they're like my best friends and, you know, we're, we're trying to help each other get better every single day. So it's, it's just, you know, it's a really good thing to be a part of. 100%. And last but certainly not least, start one, bench one, and cut one. You ready? Yep. Hope Solo, Alyssa Nayer, and Brianna Scurry. Oh, my goodness. All right. Start Hope. Oh, gosh. Bench Nayer. What was the last one? <laughs> Brianna Scurry. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got a bench Nayer. I have to, I think I have to agree. Same, same yeah. order for me. I mean, oh, that's hard though. That's... We love, we love, we love Scurry. Yeah. We love Brianna Scurry. But I, you know, you think about how much the game has changed in the last yes. 20 years and yeah. just, you, you have to give yourself a, a, 
more reliable safety net. Not that Brianna Scurry isn't a reliable safety net, but just more so with Alyssa Nair. Yeah, yeah. always got to go with my girl Hope, too. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> Maddie, thanks so much for taking the time and hopping on the podcast today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, guys. This has been yet another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Thank you very much again to Maddie Smith for coming on. I have been your host, Carter Hockman. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Just for Keeps.